You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the USC Triple Double Podcast, a part of the Pear Style Podcast family of shows. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, joined by Mr. Triple Double himself, my co-host, Connor Morissette. Connor, how are we doing today? Doing well, Shotgun. How are you? Hanging in there, trying to keep my voice intact. You know, if you listen to the, the Helium Boys podcast, it was probably a little bit in and out. It's still still sitting there. We're trying to get healed up before we get to Christmas time here, before we get to the Holiday Bowl, before we get to all that, but some big basketball games before then. Are you sure you survived the first edition of Bronny Mania, though? Yes, I am. Barely made it out of there, but <laughs> I survived. And it was too bad USC lost, of course, because that was a great environment. The atmosphere was awesome. We'll talk about it in a little bit. What a disappointing result, though, with all the eyes on the program to come up short. That was annoying. Yeah, we'll definitely have more to say about his debut, the Trojans' performance, as well as the atmosphere in the Galen Center, which looked electric. i got to chat with you about that for sure. But first, we'll be talking about the Galen Center team that's actually winning and is ranked in the top 10, as we'll have women's head coach Lindsey Gottlieb joining us shortly. I always look forward to talking with her. But first, for any newcomers joining us for the first time, the USC Triple Double podcast is the first regular hoops focus show on the Peristyle Podcast Network. Every week, we break down the latest action and news from the USC men's and women's basketball teams, but we need your help. Help us continue to grow the show by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a five-star rating. Yeah, please don't be shy. Go ahead. Tell all your USC Hoops friends, your cousins, your cousins' cousins, Pookie and Ray Ray, your grandmama too, everybody. Let them know that we that they need to be listening to the USC Triple Double Podcast as we follow these two USC Trojan teams that are seemingly heading in opposite directions right now. We'll see if there's a course correction. The women of Troy are a perfect 8-0 after another dominant win. This last week, they had one game. They blew out UC Riverside 85-53 to behind who else but Juju Watkins. Another 27 points for her, right on our season average, 10 of, 10 of 16 in the game. Added five assists, only one turnover. Really nice to see there. Five steals, two blocks. She was doing it all in that game. Rhea Marshall, another double-double, 11 points, 12 rebounds. McKenzie Forbes also in double figures. USC shot 56%, and they, they scored 42 points in the paint. So they're going to dominate games like that. They had a big advantage in uh, points off turnovers, fast break points. You played against a team like UC Riverside, do you take care of business? They did. 
things looking up for the men or the women, but not so much for the men's shotgun. They lose to Long Beach State on the debut of Bronny James, 84-79 in overtime to fall to five and four. Cal State Northridge is seven and three on the year, and USC is five and four. I can't believe it. Cal State Northridge right now is doing better than USC in men's basketball. Who would have thought? So in that game against Long Beach State, USC, of course, was up 15 in halftime, and then in the second half, it all went against him. I thought Vinci Wachuku had a nice game, though, seven for eight from the field, a season-high 15 points. The problem, no one else really helped him score on the ball. Harrison Hornery, one of five. Kobe Johnson, three of seven. Isaiah Collier, five of 15. Boogie Ellis, four of 15. USC did not shoot very well in this game, 40% from the field. From three, it was even worse, 22%. And probably the most damning statistic of them all, shotgun, 55% from the free throw line, 20 of 36. They missed 16 free throws. In regulation, you just hit one more of those you probably win that game. And man, oh man, looking at Isaiah Collier, just continue to go up there and miss him and miss him again. I know he's not a bad player, obviously, but the fact that he wasn't able to consistently hit those free throws, go five of 12 from the line, that is definitely a concern. Yeah, definitely a concern. We'll break all that down. But first, let's let's have some positivity here. Let's talk about the team that's winning. We're excited to talk a little women's suit with this week's guest, USC head coach Lindsey Gottlieb. The women of Troy, like I said, are 8-0 on the season. They have two more non-conference games before they start the gauntlet that is Pac-12 play with a big-time rivalry matchup against current number 2 UCLA. We'll ask her about that as well. Without further ado, we bring in USC head coach Lindsey Gottlieb. Thanks for taking the time to join us, Lindsey. Thanks for having me. I feel like I'm becoming a regular. <laughs> well, that's what we hope. We want you to be be comfortable here and for everyone to to get to know you uh, well enough to to get out to the Galen Center and enjoy an undefeated Women of Troy team right now. You guys are off to an eight no start. How would you assess the season? Some some tough competition and then some you know some bye games that you guys have really taken care of business. Sure, exactly. I mean, you, you kind of hit it on the head. It was almost inverted a little bit. Sometimes you start out with maybe the, the the easier games, so to speak, and get a chance to play with some combinations and you have to gear up. Um, but ours was a little bit inverted in that we came out the gate with Ohio State and then we had, you know, Seton Hall and Penn State and Florida Gulf Coast, all teams are, that are going to be postseason teams um, right in our first five games. We were tested early and, um, you know, again, no disrespect to any opponents now, but I think we have have a level of confidence and a level of efficiency where we're working on, uh, the opponent in front of us, but also kind of bigger picture goals and trying to play the way that we want to play. And um, and I do think the players have been receptive to learning, even through wins. You know, our film sessions have not been all positive. You know, there's a lot to work on, but I, I think we're trying to be as productive as possible as we get ready uh, for these final two games of uh, non-conference. And, and we know what's about to hit us in the toughest conference of women's basketball, which is the Pac-12. Coach, you recruit these players, you go through the preseason, but it's different when you play the games. What's been the biggest thing you've learned about the team through the first five weeks of the season? That's a really good question because I think that's a good point, right? Like it's as much as you learn through personality and practice it, it, until it all starts coming together in basketball, such this unique puzzle, almost a symphony. I think what I've learned, number one, is that we have a group that's really committed to each other and to winning. I think we're playing very unselfishly. Uh, they're fun to come into practice every day because they hang on our messages like they want to get better. I think they they know that we can be good and they know that we're not satisfied yet with where we are. Uh, but I would say our offensive versatility, um, our, our ability to, you know, maybe play a couple of different ways in terms of um, the spacing on the floor um, and, and just the grittiness and the competitiveness. Those are the things we've seen early that we're that we're happy with. 
It may not look like it, but what adversity has this team faced, you know, a month into the season? How did you kind of overcome it? I mean, the Penn State game kind of stands out to me where you have a comfortable lead. It seems like going into that fourth quarter, things kind of fall apart a little bit. Yep. But then Juju kind of takes over to to, to remedy that. Uh, what, what have you seen uh, on the adversity side? What have you seen from your team in responding to it? Uh, yeah, I would say a couple of things. Well, first, I mean, we opened the the season with a, a team that was in the Elite Eight last year and kind of dismantled UConn in the Sweet 16 and returned to everybody just about. So, and they gave us, I mean, we, you know, we lost the lead in that third quarter and had to come back in the fourth. Um, and then we faced a Florida Gulf Coast team that plays a really unique style. Um, you know, they, they have a win against North Carolina just because they're hard to hard to guard. But the Penn State game, for sure, I mean, have you guys ever been to one of those island tournaments? It's like you're in a you're in a ballroom. It feels like I told you it felt like we were on like court 57 of an EYBL tournament, right? Like it just has a different feel. And that was an intense NCAA tournament-like game on this, you know, island. Um, and I think we saw a lot there. They were very physical with us. They were very aggressive. It was a little chippy for lack of a better word. Um, and and it was our first game play without Caitlin Davis, who was a starter in every other game. So I do think we've faced some adversity in terms of we've faced a lot of different different styles of defenses. I think we've faced a lot of different um, you know, offensive challenges that we've had to guard. And and I like the way we've responded. I mean, in particular, I think one thing that's not been said about Juju, and there's a lot of things that have been said, but her ability to learn and adjust in real time is one of her best characteristics. Cause you, you know, when you say adversity, like we're playing a team that hasn't played much together, you know, we're, we're built around a freshman, 18 year old, you know, phenom kind of, but also all these other pieces that have to work together and we've had to adjust in real time. And I think that's been our quote unquote adversity, but I know more is coming and I want to make sure this team is equipped to handle things that are hard because because we absolutely know you know it's not going to be um, a breeze by any means yeah the pac-12 is looking crazy this year so coach you're in the stretch right now where it's finals week two games in 15 days what's the biggest thing that you're trying to attack during this stretch where you get a little bit more practice time than normal yeah for sure i mean we've gotten after it which is great um you know we've talked a ton about our pace you know, our pace on the offensive end, our pace and transition and our spacing. Those two words, I think players have heard me say pace and spacing offensively. Uh, we've talked a ton about rebounding, um, you know, and it might be because uh, we know the team down the street, um, you know, is the best in the country uh, at, at offensive rebounding. So we've talked about boxing out and rebounding, but there's a lot of size in the league that's coming our way. Um, and we've we've talked about just championship habits and championship standards and what does a practice look like at the very beginning when we need to start strong and what does it look like in the middle when you're dragging a little bit or the end when you need to finish strong. I mean, we've really tried to use this practice time um, to get better and to make sure that we have our players attention on the things that are most important, which sometimes can be hard to do when you're winning, but I think this group has really bought into um, the big picture. Yeah, it seems like it's still a work in progress, uh, you know, especially when you bring in those grad transfers, the influx of the freshmen coming in. I, I'm interested in the, the the Ivy League girls that have come in. Caleb Padilla last year was second in the in the Ivy in scoring, not being asked to do that this year. How do you feel like those three Ivy League transfers are kind of finding their roles? I mean, obviously, Caitlin Davis has missed a couple of games, but but where do you see them kind of fitting in? And, and, you know, is that still something you're working towards or do you feel like that's solidifying itself a little bit? I mean, I can't say enough about that trio. They have been phenomenal. Like I, I didn't, 
we tried to recruit the best players for us in the portal. I certainly didn't say, let me go get, you know, the three best Ivy players or, or anything like that. But the way it's worked out, um, they're all extremely high IQ players. And I don't think every player from the Ivy League is high IQ necessarily, but like those three are high IQ players. They're highly versatile. They just want to win. They've kind of, you know, gotten over themselves, so to speak, which makes them great compliments to, you know, joining a team that that has an existing all pack 12 player with Raya and has Juju. Like the fit has been really good. What I'm so impressed with is um, their ability to pass the ball. Right. So they're all at like a two to one assist to turnover ratio. Uh, they can score, but they can play well with others. You know, Kayla Padilla, like you mentioned, has completely changed her role and has done it seamlessly. She's playing more point guard for us than off the ball. She's a defensive stopper for us. Wasn't asked to do that before, but we want her to continue to be aggressive because we think she is a double digit scorer. Um, same thing with Mackenzie Forbes. She can play every single position. She she's brilliant. She knows where everyone's supposed to be. Um, but she can give you 20 at any, at any time. And Katie is probably our toughest player, our most rugged and versatile defender. Um, so just the way that they play, I think makes those around them better. We can ask them to do a lot of things. And I like the fact that I, I do think the upside is there, um, because, uh, they haven't necessarily peaked, right? Like, I, th I think that's where we can continue to get better, which is really cool. You hit on it coach after the game Sunday, but how significant was it to have LeBron and a lot of the men's crowd stay for your game? What does that say about the program? And I was there. I just remember leaving the Galen center that night and there were so many fans outside trying to get autographs from Juju and other players. And it was like a sea of people. I, I had to say, excuse me, pardon me. I, I couldn't get out for like a few minutes there. There's so much buzz around this program. Just how cool is it to be a part of it right now? I mean, it's really indescribable. Like we're, I think we're seeing in real time, the vision and, and dreams of what could be here. Um, and it's, it's just, it's not lost on me on how significant that is. Um, so number one, the doubleheader, I just really want to shout out marketing and game management. Doubleheaders are not easy to put on, right? There's people with men's tickets. There's people with women's tickets. How do you make that work seamlessly? And then, like you said, happened to be Bronny's first game, which brought a whole nother level of media um, and fans. And I arrived at 10, 15 for shoot around and there was lines around the corner for the 1 p.m men's basketball game, but it was an incredible day in Haas. Obviously we want a different outcome in the men's game, but the buzz in the arena was unreal. So then, I mean, think about it. It was a two and a half hour men's game. Um, and LeBron still stayed. I mean, he went back to like a holding area and then came back out for our game, uh, which I thought was un unbelievable. I thought a lot of fans stayed the buzz in our gym on a Sunday afternoon, you know, a non-conference game was incredible. And like you mentioned, to see these kids, you know, it just, it's so significant that Juju decided to stay home and do something and build something because all of these kids in the community feel like they're a part of it with her, which is what she wanted. And with the rest of our teammates, you know, Rhea and um, uh, our other players, but it's unbelievable to see kids screaming her name, to see people in jerseys, to see the, 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 the crowds. Um, Cause we all knew that USC women's basketball is a sleeping giant, but there wasn't necessarily the administrative support, which now we have, and there wasn't necessarily the community buzz, which now we have. Um, and it's just, it's unbelievable to see it take time. And I, I just think it's why, you know, these players are really necessary and important, I think, uh, for people in the community to see um, this is what you can be as a female athlete. And this is what USC women's basketball can be. It's just, it's a really neat thing to be a part of. Yeah. I don't know how many programs around the country, whether men's or women's can say that they've had, 
arguably the best men's basketball player and the best women's basketball player attend their games so far this season with LeBron and Cheryl uh, both stopping in to, to, to check out the women of Troy and check out Juju. We have to ask you about Juju every week, of course, every time we get a chance to talk to you. What's been the most ridiculous thing she's done on the court so far for you? Oh, the ending of that Penn State game was was <laughs> wild. I mean, it just was something out of you know a movie. I think we were we were down six, um, and she gets her own putback. You know, uh, makes the basket. We're down four. I think there was like a minute and a half to go. Penn State comes down, takes a quick shot. She comes back and shoots a three in transition that was NBA ish, right? And the and the, the the courage and the guts to shoot that shot, although it felt just like in rhythm um and 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 then she hit the game winner um about i don't know 20 seconds later that little run um of, of seven points in a row uh to win the game against a really top team that had been very physical with her had been aggressive all game was it was an, an otherworldly coach i don't think we'll get the chance to talk to you before the ucla game coming up on december 30th so i gotta ask about that it's a loaded question but where does this game rank for you in terms of the biggest you've coached in I mean, I did coach in the Final Four, which is what our goal is here. You know, in the Elite Eight game to get to the Final Four was big. You know, Pac-12 championship games, you know, some pretty big Cal-Stanford games. However, I don't know that I've ever felt an, a, an excitement and a lead up and a buzz around a game as much as this one for like months, you know, in advance. There's something different about the USC-UCLA rivalry, right? I think it's because we're so close in proximity. I think it's because everywhere you go in LA, someone's either a UCLA or a USC person. I think obviously both programs right now um, are really hot, both undefeated. They're number two in the country. Um, uh, and, and and the buzz that, that we're getting, um, I think the lead into it is there's as much excitement as any women's basketball game you know I've been a part of. I think it's going to be um, an epic atmosphere. I think it's going to be crazy for women's sports and just Southern California athletics. Um, so in terms of buzz, I think it's as, it's as big as anything I've, I've been a part of. We don't have the records in front of us, but potentially a top five matchup too. You know, you guys are top, uh, in number five in the coaches poll right now, still number six in the AP poll. See if you guys can move up, if you guys continue to win, if they continue to win. That would be, you know, pretty epic as well. Uh, one final question for you, just kind of a, a, a larger picture question. You were coaching in the Pac-12 before. You go to the NBA, you come back. How different is the Pac-12 now from when you left for the NBA, um, just in general, uh, just in terms generally of the athleticism and, you know, the, the style of plays as well as having so many quality teams? The Pac-12 is always really good, but especially this season, it seems like it's, it's at another level. Right. I mean, I think the trajectory has always been upward um, since the time I want to say I was talking about this with a, with a reporter the other day. I mean, since the time I've been in the Pac-12 as a head coach, the number of teams that have made a final four, I mean, us and Stanford and Oregon and Oregon State and Washington, um, it's been this this high growth, you know, conference. Um, but I don't know that there's ever been a year like this one where there's what we had five teams in the top 10 at one point. I mean, there's arguably a handful of top five teams. Um, and, and then there's no bottom. Like, I don't know who the bottom is supposed to be because everybody's really good. Um, it's So I don't know if there's this big differentiation between what, before I left the NBA when I came back. I think it's been an upward trajectory, but this is, this is it in terms of the amount of talent um, on each team, the depth that, that, that every team is good. And there's some teams that are extremely good with a lot of players coming 
back. Um, and then there's some like new young talent, great coaching. This is the best it's ever been. And I think we'll, um, you know, certainly uh, have an exciting conference season and even more. So I think it'll be telling of how many teams will go deep in postseason. you would think. Well, Lindsay, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on the USC Triple Double Podcast. Thank you guys so much. With that, we're going to jump into our break, and then we'll, Connor and I will be back to, to take a little bit deeper look at the last week of action for the USC men and women. We'll also take a look forward at the upcoming matchups for the next week. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors and also please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform also if you have any questions comments requests you can send them into podcast at uscfootball.com just make sure you put the triple double or a basketball pod or shotgun and connor together whatever it takes in the headline make sure it gets directed to us before we jump into our weekly breakdown connor what kind of stood out to you from our interview with Lindsay gottlin just the fact that she's built the culture and there's so much buzz around the program so quickly i mean here she is and the team's eight no and seems like she just got here. I know it was a few years ago now, but she still seems relatively new at USC to me. And the fact that she's turned things around so quickly and the buzz and the LeBron being there on Sunday, I, I, I just think things are going in the right direction. And I thought it was interesting too, Shotgun. She mentioned how they're, even though they're playing these bye games right now, they are preparing for the tougher opponents in the Pac-12 coming up. 
I just think eventually USC is going to get thrown into the fire and, and, you know, they'll have some games where they play great and they'll win. And I think the PAC 12, is just going to challenge him. I don't anticipate them going undefeated. And it sounds like coach Gottlieb understands that she knows these tougher games are coming and they're doing everything they can to prepare for him. It's another thing to be playing in them. I can't wait for some of these tougher games to come up. Yeah. I love that, that comment from her, you know, talking about, Hey, yes, we're preparing for UC Riverside. We're preparing for the San Diego's of the world as we go to play them. But we're also looking into the future because that's what you have to do. And we're trying, they're trying to make strides each week, each day, but you're also looking ahead at what is down the line and knowing that, okay, what we did in this game is not good enough in, in certain areas and pointing all that out in film study, a little bit different than, and maybe this is what happens about was happening behind doors with the football team. But when Lincoln Riley is super excited about, they just got to win. Never wanted to say anything negative about when they got to win. Like he would say, yeah, we got to fix some things, but it wasn't like, this isn't good enough. Whereas Lindsay Gottlieb, I feel like if they were in a one point game, with San Diego or UC Riverside, she'd be like, this isn't good enough to the team. And, you know, they would be trying to push towards further goals down the line, which it was just great to see. And she knows she knows what it takes to get there, obviously, with that Final Four experience. So we'll see if they continue to progress in that regard. Let's jump to our Juice Juice section. You know, we do it every week. We got to look at the two fantastic freshmen Juju Watkins continues to be outstanding for USC. She's averaging 27.3 points per game, 27.2 I think it is. I think it went down a tenth because she only scored 27 uh, in the game. Once again, being fantastic. Seven and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, a little bit over two steals, a little bit over a block. Turnover still a concern, but looked a lot better as far as her, you know, her stats is still a little bit of concern, but she only had one in the last game. Shooting almost 50%, shooting over 40, nearly 45% from three, 75% from free throw. Could do a little bit better, maybe there. Uh, but we're nitpicking because she's been so spectacular. Uh, on the other side, Isaiah Collier, the fantastic freshman for the men's team. A little bit of a backslide. The last couple of games has not been as good. And you're playing Gonzaga, you come home, there's a big crowd. Let's see if he gets out of his funk going forward, but he's at 17 points per game, three rebounds, a little bit over four assists, a little bit over four turnovers, one and a half steals per game, almost shooting 50% from the field as well, but now down to 32% three-point percentage and 67% on the free throw percentage, and that stands out to me, uh, and that's my, the one thing that caught my eye in the Juze Juze section is that he's down four and a half percent down 10 four and a half percent overall as field goal percentage down 10 percent in three-point percentage and down almost 12 percent the last two games and though both have been usc losses so that's why it stands out a little bit more the shooting hasn't been there it's always concerned with him uh and it feels like maybe he's pressing a little bit i don't know what stood out to you th- this past week about those two fantastic freshmen what caught your eye from juju watkins and or isaiah collier this week just to respond to what you said about Isaiah Collier, he hasn't made a three in the month of December. So USC, they've only played the two games, but 0-5 against Long Beach State, 0 of 11 against Gonzaga, and then the free throws have not been very good this month either. Like you talked, or yeah, like you talked about their shotgun, uh, seven of 18. So he's under 50 percent in the month of December from the free throw line, and the three that can kind of vary a little bit. But to what you said about the free throws, I agree with that. I think that's a sign that he is in his head a little bit. And when you're shooting that low of a percentage and you're that talented, that makes me just think something is going on with him mentally. And it's up to the USC staff and Isaiah's teammates to to pull him out of it now because this team, they can't afford to lose any other non-conference games 
and they got a really tough game coming up against Auburn. So we'll see how that one goes and we'll see if they can bounce back playing away from home for Juju Watkins. What else can you say about her? Just the one turnover in this last game against UC Riverside. I felt like that was her second most efficient game of the season and her most efficient game was against Lemoyne, but we're grading her on the Juju Watkins scale, which is already <laughs> so high. So like, yeah, really efficient game. But even if it, if she'd had a few more turnovers, I, I don't think I'd be saying anything negative about her. I'm excited, Shotgun, to see what she looks like when it's Pac-12 play, it's, it's UCLA, it's a Utah, it's a Stanford, and these opponents have the defensive capabilities to limit her and double team her and go three on four against some other U or against the other players on the USC roster and just what that looks like, because she's passed all the tests so far with flying colors. Coach Gottlieb mentioned the, the Penn state game, what she did in that one in the Bahamas to close that out. She's been perfect so far and it's going to get a little harder and I'm excited to see what it looks like when it gets a little tougher. Yeah, we still have two weeks to go, Connor, before that. we got two more shows. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss those things coming up. But I, I did like uh, what Lindsay said about, um, you know, the way she is able to adjust on the fly. She mentioned this in, a, in, a, in a, I think, a newspaper article or, or somewhere I saw it. But she said she hasn't seen that except in the NBA. The way that, that Juju Watkins is able to adjust on the fly. So all the teams that are throwing, you know, all the defenses teams are throwing at her, like Penn State did some different things that she hadn't seen yet this season, made adjustments, and then obviously she was fantastic at the end of that game, um, you know, so to win it for them. But we got two more weeks. We'll get to it, Connor, I promise. We're going to talk some USC UCLA. It's coming up. We got one more show where we'll have a, a women's uh women's basketball guest to to discuss that. We'll see who we can get on for that show, but first we got to talk about what just happened with the men's team. And we got a new segment. We got to start now. We're just throwing extra segments in every week. Stunting like my daddy. We got to talk about Bronny. Bronny James debut. Overall thoughts? Was it better than you expected? About what you expected, less than what you expected. I'd say slightly better than I expected. It's a shame he missed that free throw at the end of the game, which would have put USC up three and forced Long Beach State to make a three of their final possession instead of a two. That's, of course, really the only glaring negative from his debut. I thought his three-point shot looked strong. I know he missed a couple shots, but he kept shooting and eventually hit one the block that he had. That was probably the highlight of the game for him, that athleticism. It's been compared to his dad, of course, and he certainly looked like him on that block. So that was really cool. So, yeah, I'd say slightly better shotgun. And we can talk about the environment and the atmosphere. I, I would love to offer my thoughts there. I mentioned it a little bit on the Peristyle podcast yesterday. Overall, though, yeah, I'd say slightly better than I expected. What were your thoughts? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Ryan let you talk basketball on the on the podcast. That's a, that's a rarity, you know, he, uh, but it must have been just because he was there. It's the only reason that he would he would allow to talk. Now, Bronny did finish. He finished with four points. He was one for three from the field, all three pointers, one for two, like you mentioned, from the free throw line, three rebounds, two assists, two blocks of steal in 16 minutes. Um, I asked around. He was basically on a 16-minute limitation, you know, eight minutes in the first half, eight minutes in the second half was kind of what the the – the schedule was going to be for him, which is actually much more than I anticipated. I anticipated five to 10 at max, you know, just looking back at what they allowed Vinci with to do. And again, I think Bronny is further along was ready to play quicker than Vinci with would make an impact. So that's part of the reason why they kept him in there. So it wasn't like, Hey, he's going to play 16 minutes. It was, he can play up to 16 minutes. And they were like, no, we got to keep this guy in because he's making a difference, especially in the first half. I think they were, he played, I think he played eight minutes. 
and they were or six or eight minutes and they were plus six or plus eight. I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, but you know, they're playing much better defense. And it was notable to me when he came in the chase down block, the athleticism you see there, because his head nearly hits the backboard. He has to duck his head kind of out of the way as he's blocking that shot. Uh, so that stands out. Obviously the chase down, the, you know, everyone wants to, oh, and there's the the tweets and stuff that are referencing his father's famous chase down block in the finals of Andre Iguodala. But there was a, a, a two or three play sequence where Isaiah Collier is guarding, I think it was Issa Silva from Long Beach State. And Issa Silva is able to get a step, get into the lane. Someone has to come up and help. Issa Silva tries to take Brian James off the dribble and he runs into a wall. And Brian James just like stonewalls him. He backs up. Great defense, just moving his feet. Brian James is clapping his hands at him after the play. And that's what he's going to bring that they're not necessarily getting right now out of Isaiah Carr or Boogie Ellis. Like those guys aren't the guys that are going to be able to just move their feet so well that you just can't go anywhere. And Brian James is capable of that. Kobe Johnson is capable of that. Um, so I think that's something that he's going to add to this team going forward. And continue to put pressure on some of those other guards. Like if you're not playing enough defense, you're not going to play all the minutes going down the stretch. And the the last thought I have is, is that him missing that free throw kind of reminds me of his father, the trajectory of his father's career. You know, everyone's like, oh, he can't make the shot at the end of a game. Yeah, you know, that's a, this is just the start. And then what is what has Bron done over over and over uh, in the NBA since early in his career when he was passing and everyone's like, he he's not Kobe. He can't make the shot. He can't take the shot. Whatever it is. And Bronny, I thought, was very unselfish, passed the ball, moved the ball really quickly. And that was a big difference to me in the first half versus the second half. When USC was having success, the ball movement was so much more crisp. And when he's on the floor, I feel like it it does that more. I agree. And it was really big that he was in the closing group. He even had the opportunity to take that free throw at the end of the game. I was surprised to see that. I thought if the game was close at the end, we wouldn't see Bronny James. And it looked to me like Andy Enfield was like, we need our five best guys out there right now. And Bronny was one of them today. So uh, that was certainly significant. The defense, like you mentioned, shotgun, I totally agree. And I don't know how many opportunities down the line Bronny will have with the minutes restriction and just him being a freshman to take a big shot at the end of the game, but I'm sure he's chomping at the bit to get another opportunity and excited for the future. I know he's walking into a situation where the team isn't as good as people expected right now but I think personally if I'm Bronny like disappointed in the loss but the fact that right away I'm all already in that closing group I'm taking big shots when uh, the team needs me to I I feel pretty pretty good about myself moving forward I think he's clearly going to have a role and I hope the minutes restriction gets upped a little bit so we can see more of him because if that first game is any indication USC's going to need him and he can play a big role on this team yeah, and there were questions coming in like, oh, is he going to be a starter? We said from the very beginning, we thought he was a guy coming off the bench as a sixth man and potentially to come in and do that. Hey, the team's getting off to a sluggish start. All right, put Bronny in. You know the excitement in the gym is going to raise up. You know he's going to be able to come in and play defense. He's got, you know, the his first defensive possession, I think it was, the crowd kind of raise, rises up, uh, maybe not literally, but you can hear the volume increase on the broadcast because he's manning up on a guy and he knocks the ball away. Now Long Beach State ends up uh, regaining possession, but you could just hear the the the, the crowd, you know, re- getting ready to to explode for him making his first big play. And we'll see if that continues as, as we progress in the season, you know, debuts, the first game of the season. There's always opening day in baseball. I always have a, you always have a sellout. 
by week two. If you're the Kansas City Royals, you're not selling out anymore necessarily. So uh, we'll see if USC, you know, how they play and if they can continue to get better and continue to draw those crowds or not. So speaking of that crowd, tell me about the atmosphere. It's one of the positives for sure on on the triple-double when we get to that is the atmosphere sounded electric on the broadcast. I was disappointed not to be there. But then also for the women's game, same thing. Well, I talked with Ryan about this yesterday. It was fascinating. In the first half when things were going well and Bronny was in the game, and even when he wasn't, USC up by 15 at halftime, it was loud. People were excited. Other guys were making plays, and the crowd was really loud. But in the second half, when Bronny wasn't on the court and Long Beach State was trimming the lead down and getting closer and the screws were kind of tightening on USC, there was a guy right to my left who was like, we want Bronny, bring in Bronny. And I thought as that game got tougher for USC, it sort of seemed apparent to me like the majority of that crowd, they're probably USC fans, of course, but they care first and foremost about Bronny James. And with him not being in the game, People were not happy, especially with Long Beach State coming back. And I don't think people understood that Bronny was on that minutes restriction. What was interesting to me too, Shotgun, right when it went to overtime, a decent amount of people left. And I think those were the big Bronny people. They got their money's worth. They saw him score his first bucket. They saw him have a big block. And I think USC, they kind of missed a chance like to have a really good game and get people who were Bronny fans to say, hey, I still want to see Bronny in the future, but that Boogie Ellis guy was good. And Kobe Johnson, he's a great defensive player. And we're going to continue to support this team because of Bronny, but we're interested in other players as well. And when so many people left before that overtime period started, I felt like USC sort of blew an opportunity a little bit. And they can get those fans back. There's going to be interest in this program as long as the year goes on with with Bronny James playing. But if he's not playing for whatever reason in the future, I am a little bit concerned about the interest in this group at five and four right now. So Bronny brings a lot of that interest. It seemed like people were there for him first and foremost. Of course, they were USC fans as well, but it was interesting because people were so excited about a guy who didn't play a whole lot. And in the NBA, like they're the LeBron fans and they care about the Lakers because of LeBron's legacy and LeBron's going to play a lot. Bronny's not a star player right now. And most of the people who were there cared about him. I, I I just thought it was fascinating. You don't see that too much. If, If someone is rooting for a player, it's usually a star and, Ronnie, I think he can get there, but he's not right now. And uh, just people yelling for him when he wasn't playing and the crowd getting really quiet when when he was on the bench and Long Beach State started to come back. Just a fascinating view of uh, why people were there. Yeah, it's his, his popularity is very interesting, too, because it's not directly derived from him. Obviously, it's derived from his father being, you know, one of the best players uh, the game has ever seen. Um, and he's done nothing wrong to take any – fan people away, but it's not like he's making such electric highlights. you got to tune in and watch it. He's not the number one guy in the class. He, he did rise up and become a five-star, and we saw why, because the impact he can make even coming off the bench for USC, and he could potentially work his way into the starting lineup. You know, I, I, at the very beginning, I mentioned, you know, he could be like D'Anthony Melton was for USC, you know, someone that you just put him in there to be a spark defensively. If he can knock down three, that's great. And then he works his way into the starting lineup, and that's something we can see from Bronny, especially with the way that they've been shooting recently. If he can shoot and knock down shots, so that'll be something to keep an eye on. And the the energy and atmosphere will also be something to see how it ebbs and flows as the season goes on. And you know, if USC can get on a run, maybe they can get everyone in there. We can have a you know a, a packed crowd every night in Galen Center. That would be amazing. That's something that has not happened. And you know, hopefully, uh, you know, Bronny brings in the casuals. 
And they decide to stay, just like you said, because they're seeing Isaiah Collier and what he can do. Um, you're seeing Boogie Ellis go off for 28 like it's nothing. So, But that wasn't the case on Saturday. Let's jump into our triple-double. Uh, let's start with the women. Let's get get back to some positivity. Let's start with the women. Give me uh, three positives that you had from the game, and then we'll get to our negatives afterwards. It was tough to pick out two negatives for the women. Let me just start by saying <laughs> First, positive, holding UC Riverside to single-digit points in the first and second quarter, having 16 points at halftime, fantastic defensive performance from the women of Troy. Second, like I said earlier, I thought it was the second most efficient game of Juju's young USC career so far, 10 of 16, 27 points, just the one turnover. Really great game from her. And the last positive, walk-on India Otto got into the game, and she hit a three. I always love when the walk-ons get in and can make a big shot. That was cool to see. Yes, the daughter of uh, of an actress, the actress that played in the TV show Weird Science, um, Vanessa. I can't think of her last name. Uh, I think she got married after the show, anyway. So, uh, but you know, another celebrity uh, celebrity child there. Uh, so good to see her get in and, and make a make a shot and knock one down there. Um, all they empty the bench out, so you know, getting everyone some time. Um, I completely agree with you. My triple first half defense was dominant. That was spectacular. Only one turnover for Juju. You mentioned the efficiency, but also taking care of the basketball. I uh, thought was really good. And then my third one was Caitlin Davis returning. She didn't do much necessarily in this, but Lindsay Gottlieb mentioned how important she is, you know, as for her defensive, um, you know, mentality and everything that she brings to the table. She came off the bench, only played 12 minutes. She had a knee brace uh, or a sleeve on her knee. So we'll see, you know, what her minutes are going forward, if she can get back to full strength before they get into that Pac-12 play. But getting her back, I think, was good. Taylor Bigby's been solid in the starting lineup, but I think she can be someone that comes off the bench and, you know, is an immediate turn to to, to try to, you know, uh, initiate a spark. So getting Caitlin Davis back in the starting lineup, I think, would be really good to to move Bigby back and make her, you know, you know, a Lou Williams type coming off the bench. Um, so uh, what about on the, the negative side? What were, I know I know it was difficult. When when you score eighty five points, you win by thirty two. Give me two negatives from this. What's your what's your double uh, for the triple double? Take these with a grain of salt. First one, I don't know whose fault it is. It's no one's fault. But USC hasn't played a challenging game since November twenty second. They're going to go a month without playing a team who's really going to challenge them. I think. I don't anticipate these next two games before UCLA. Uh, I think it's Fullerton and Long Beach State really giving USC too much trouble on the women's side. So just it's been a long time since that Penn State game, and I don't know how that's going to affect the team. And then the other one, it was a tie in the second half against UC Riverside. I know Lindsey Gottlieb emptied the bench, and who cares because they played that first half so well and only allowed 16 points. But in the third and fourth quarters, UC Riverside equaled what USC did, and I don't think it's a big negative, but that's really all I could come up with. I got uh, my two negatives. I got 60% free throws. Do a little bit better, obviously, um, there, because you almost shot that uh, that percentage from the floor. So your floor percentage shouldn't be creeping up on your, your free throw percentage in that regard. And then maybe a couple more minutes for reserves. You know, Aaliyah, uh, Aaliyah Gale has only played four minutes. Kayla Williams only played eight. I wouldn't mind seeing – like I want to see Aaliyah Gales, and there was a, a brief moment of it in there with Juju Watkins. I want to see her start getting her feet wet a little bit more, and that these type of games are the perfect opportunity where even if you're only going to give her, you know, five or six minutes, 
do it with a couple other starters in there so that she gets that feel, uh, you know, playing alongside the starters in case you have an injury and you need to start going to those players a little bit further down the stretch. So maybe some more mixed lineups uh, late in the, you know, the fourth or earlier in the fourth quarter in a game where you're dominating. But again, that's super nitpicking because they dominated this game. Absolutely. How about on the men's side? Can you give me three positives? What's your triple for the men? I have two positives. I'm flipping this I'm and, and three negatives. That's how I feel right now. <laughs> trying to make a statement with this. First positive was Bronny. Thought he looked solid. We talked a lot about him, so I'll go on to the next one. Second one was Vinci Wachuku. I love that he started mm-hmm. that game. He won the opening tip. I've been on this show a lot talking about how Josh Morgan, I think he's a really good defensive player, but he can knock it off the ground on those opening tips. I cannot remember the last time he won a jump ball. He goes to the bench. Vince starts wins the opening tip, seven of eight from the floor, 15 points. He was very critical of himself after the game. He didn't like that he only had the one block and he felt like he could have rebounded better. That's probably fair. But if you're getting double digit and efficient scoring from a big, that's all we can ask for right now from USC because they were not getting that consistently earlier this season. It's too bad that USC did lay an egg in this game because I thought Vince played well enough to win. Yeah, I, I had him as well. Vince Wichuku looking more and more comfortable is what I had on mine. He moved in the starting lineup after, according to the broadcast, infield supposedly went into practice and said, hey, all five starting spots are open. And that kind of played out where Iwichuku and Hornery moved into the starting lineup and DJ Morgan and or DJ Rodman, excuse me, and Joshua Morgan moved out of the starting lineup. I thought DJ Morgan played well coming off the bench. He's a guy that's versatile. You can move him around different lineups, I think, uh, because he can play, you can defend different positions. So that gives you some options with that. And, you know, when I asked around, it's basically like, yeah, we played, we did we needed a spark. We needed something to happen. And I think Vince Iwichuku provided that. So I wouldn't be surprised to, to see him stay in there as long as he continues to play and you know, so much upside there. Now his shot, he shot seven of eight from the field. I think six of those were dunks or layups. And so that's his teammates setting him up. Uh, the one miss he got blocked and then he ended up going up and dunking it. So, you know, everything was right there at the rim, but that also says that one, his teammates are finding him one, the ball's moving. And that was something in the first half. They came out with energy. They came out with ball movement, and then they rode the push from Bronny when he choked when he checked in. You know the the wave of, of excitement. Second half, it just they're you know they were getting their hands on the ball in the first half too. You know a lot of deflections, tips, and stuff like that. Didn't see that in the second half. Uh, my my third tri- uh, portion of my triple double was Isaiah Collier and Kobe Johnson combined for nine steals in the game. And that's a positive. You know Isaiah Collier. Again, we, we talked about him didn't shoot well, but he did have five steals in this game. Three turnovers, which is not great, but not terrible for him. He only had two assists, but part of that was guys not knocking down those outside shots. If USC makes outside shots, he's like his assist numbers start taking off because that's what happens with point guards when, when guys make shots. All right, how about the double? Uh, or for you, the triple. You, you inverted it to be a double-triple. So does that mean that the, the turnovers are one of the, the – uh, the ones that were getting into the double here, the double digits on turnovers in the game, because there were double digits in this game. I don't have that on my list, but the problem this week, Chuck, <laughs> and is you can have, it's a laundry list. You can have a whole bunch of things. So I just start with the spotlight. Last week we talked about Bronny James coming back. This team's going to be under the microscope. The light's a lot brighter. What are they going to look like? And it, it wasn't good, especially in that second half. And Long Beach State, that's a team, obviously, you should beat. But the spotlight's going to be on this team against better opponents as the year goes on. And so I'm concerned about a team that 
needs to regroup and change some things. Now everyone's watching him. I don't think that's a recipe for success. My second one, the free throws, 20 to 36. I don't even know what to say about it because it's not like a coaching thing. You just got to go and knock those down and to miss as many as they did. And it wasn't just one player that that was really ugly. And then the starting guards, especially on offense are supposed to be the strength of the team. And they just weren't in this one. Isaiah Collier, five of 12 from the line, Oh, five from three more turnovers than assists. Kobe Johnson, you needed him in this game and 10 seconds into the second half, third foul, he picks it up really fast. Then he gets his fourth foul and has to sit for a really long time. And that's when Long Beach state really made those strides to get back into the game. He has a fouling problem right now against Gonzaga. He picked up some quick fouls and I know he's an aggressive defender and a fantastic defender, but USC needs him through this really tough stretch they're going through. And for him to pick up a few cheap fouls and have to sit on the bench. I didn't like that. And then Boogie Ellis passes up the shot in regulation. Andy Enfield said, I don't know why he passed it only made the four field goals. So those three are supposed to be the pillars of USC's offense. And you can't even get a good to, you know, just a good offensive game from, from one of them in that Long Beach State defeat. I felt like that was a big reason why USC fell in that game. And here's a bonus. The leading scorer for Long Beach State, Marcus Sohonis, he didn't even play in like the first 10 minutes of the first half. And then in the second half, he plays a ton. And in overtime, he plays a ton. He's their leading scorer, leads him back. If you had told me the leading scorer for Long Beach State was going to miss half of the first half and USC was going to lose, I would have called you crazy. Long Beach State, they need this guy. And he missed a big chunk of the game and they still won. That was a big surprise to me. Yeah, it's Sahonis on a list as well. You know, 28 points in 27 minutes. Didn't play. He checked in with, I think it was 839 to go in the first half. Coach's decision, he had been in their starting lineup. They basically benched him and said, hey, you're going to miss the first quarter of this, even though there's halves in college basketball. But you're going to miss the first quarter. So whatever he was doing in practice or whatever, they did not appreciate. Former Washington transfer, transferred to VCU. So some talent there. But it, you can't let let someone come in off the bench like that and, you know, cook you the way he did. So, you know, the way they let him get going was not good. But a big part of that was Kobe Johnson not being available. Like you said, um, USC got to their big lead when Sahonis was not in the game. So my double, I doubled up on my double. So I actually went further than you. I went with four. Um, Sahonis was one of those. No shooting was one of those. I said no shooters from three or free because they shot seven of 31 from three-point range, 22.6%. That's not going to do it. And, and there were open looks. Like Harrison Hornery missed four, wide open, almost, almost all of them. Isaiah Collier missed five. At least three of them were wide open. Uh, so getting guys that can make shots, just not knocking them down. Then they're spiraling right now. Can they get out of it, or are they going down the drain? You know, it's it's this is a huge road trip, huge road trip. The season could be over before they play another home game because they play at Auburn, at Alabama State, come home for a little bit, and then they go to Oregon, Oregon State. Huge four game swing that could could ultimately determine whether they're an NCAA tournament team or not. And then the last one was just crunch time crumbles. Boogie Ellis was 0-3 in overtime. Isaiah Carrier had the multiple missed free throws late in regulation in overtime. Bronny James missed the one, which would have made it a three-point game. Obviously, you would like to have that one. That one you're not as concerned about uh, because it's his first game and all that. But Dan Munson, the Long Beach State head coach, said, we knew if we could just stay in the game, put pressure on him, we'd have a chance. And I felt like they 
crumbled under that pressure. So crumbling right now in crunch time is not a great sign. And I think you saw when Boogie Ellis doesn't score what this team is. He has to score 18 at least. Now he got 14, but he did it on 14 shots. He has to have 18 at least and be efficient or else this team is going to struggle. And that's what we saw in this game. It's a surprise because I thought at the beginning of this year, Boogie Ellis, of course, would be a key figure, but say he doesn't score in a given night. I I felt like USC had the talent to overcome that or say they are shooting 20% from three on a given night. I felt like USC had the talent to overcome that. And it just seems like right now they're a team that a lot of things needs to go right. And I felt like they had the talent to have some things go wrong and especially at home against Long Beach State, be able to be able to overcome that. And just too many things went wrong in this game. But I think against better opposition to what you said, Chuck, and they need Boogie Ellis. He can't have an off night against even like a Washington, I, in my opinion. I feel like if Boogie Ellis doesn't score against Washington, Washington probably beats you because they're so good on offense and they're like a mid-level. They beat Gonzaga, but they're not like a great Pac-12 team. Just so much, so much needs to go right, and it just hasn't for him lately. Uh I don't really know how they can can turn it around right now. Andy Enfield talked about having everyone and practicing more, but I feel like that was a few weeks ago and they've had everyone and they have practiced more and you just got to hope for change. I, I don't know what they can do differently. They've switched up the starting lineup. Guys are playing different minutes. They just got to be better. That's the bottom line. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I got one. I got one. I got. You know what they can do better? What they can do different? They can play defense. They're not playing enough defense. They did in the first half, and you saw. They got turnovers. They got deflections. They got out to a 17-point lead. Second half, they didn't. And their second halves defensively have not been good. That's been the, It's been the common refrain. It's like they're, they're at least okay, if not good to great in the first half, as far as, hey, they're getting back to playing the defense that they should be playing. We've, we've said that multiple times. Like, oh, they came out, and I thought they were doing really well. And in the second half, it just it disappears. I don't know if that if that goes back to the conditioning that we talked about last week or if it's something else, but they're not coming out after halftime, especially right after the break. You're giving teams momentum because coming out of halftime, you don't play the first three or four minutes. You don't play great defense. They make a couple shots. Suddenly they feel either, one, they push the lead out, or two, they're back in a game. And that's happened multiple times for this team. So – that's where it starts for me. They got to get back to the playing defense and rebounding. You know the super fundamentals. They don't shoot well. I mean, what they shoot against Long Beach uh, as a team, forty percent. That's good enough to beat Long Beach if you play enough defense. And in the past, they've done that. But when you allow Long Beach to shoot forty-two percent, you're not going to win the game shooting. You know, when you have an off-shooting night, whether it be the free throws, the three-point, or just anything. So, you know, when they were locking down teams the last three, four years, you hold a team to 36% shooting, hey, that's three more shots that they missed. Hey, guess what? You lost by five points. Three more shots, that's a difference in a game. And then, hey, if you make a couple free throws and everything else along the way. But the first thing is defense. That's what has to be focused. And I was was told that they they had a good week of practice last week. They were felt confident going into Long Beach State. So that makes it even more befuddling, confounding, whatever, you know, the source word you want to throw out there. But that's, it's, it, it, we don't know what team you're going to get. 
you know, the, the coaching staff doesn't feel like they know what team they're going to get. If, if there was, you know, people in the building thinking, Hey, they had a great week of practice and came out in the second half and did not look great. So I don't know. We'll see going forward. Huge week this week. We'll get to that in just a second. Where do they stand right now? The women are at number six in the AP. They moved it to number five in the coaches poll. So they are a top five team right now, Connor. Top five in the coaches poll, still 11 in the net, one of 18 unbeaten teams remaining. None of the 18 unbeaten teams lost since we last did this show. So can't wait for league play when we're going to see some of these unbeatens fall. But statistically, 38th nationally in assist to turnover rate. They're 11th in blocks, just under six blocks a game. 11th in field goal percentage nationally, just under 50%. And then 33rd in three-point percentage at 37%. Life is good for the women of Troy right now. What about on the men's side? You know, that that net ranking was, I think, 60-something before the Long Beach State game, and it slid all the way. They're now at 87. Uh, and how many teams get into the tournament now? 68 with the with the play-ins? So. 68, and that's, what, 30 – was it 30-something uh, at-large teams? So you got to start doing some work now. Yeah, so where, on the where they stand, I'll – pull people behind the curtain here on my notes. I have bang average. That's where they stand. They're in the top 25 nationally for one statistic. And that's blocks per game, which is skewed by Josh Morgan's block party against Seton hall. They're just not doing anything at a high level right now. Shotgun nine games into the season. There's nothing you can point to. Oh, they'll turn it around because they're shooting the three really well, or, Oh, they'll turn it around because they're defending the two, which Andy Enfield always loves to point out right now. Everything across the board is either average or below average. It's a tough spot to be in right now, and maybe the conditioning's the problem. You start playing better defense if you're better conditioned. That's the best thing I have right now. I don't really know why. That's my problem. Maybe Andy Enfield, I, I I don't know. They're too good for this. Five and four, they're too good for this. Connor, how frustrated do you feel like the coaching staff is with, you know, I can sense your frustration level with watching this team. How frustrated do you think the coaching staff is as they're trying to figure this out as well? Well, Andy Enfield, I got to give him credit because he is pissed off about how his team's playing, but then he has to go and talk about Bronny James after in front of all these media people who he probably got two questions about the game. And then with all due respect to the media in there, but there's this British guy who who, who says, you know, Bronny James playing in, in front of his father. What 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 does this do for, for fathers everywhere? Just to ha- have a, his son watch, his father watch his son play. And it's like, what kind of question is that? And Andy Enfield's, you know, he's like shaking his head, like, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it, that's great for fathers. Like the fact that he is dealing with this sideshow of Bronny James and the team isn't playing well, he handled it really well, but I can only imagine after that game, he's probably fist clenched and walking out of that press conference. Like what is going on here? It, it, it's like bizarro world right now with, with USC men's basketball and the media that are in that room, because it's so much Bronny and, not a lot of the team and shotgun. I don't know if you watched that video, but the post game press conference, like I've never heard anything like it. People in the media room are just yelling over each other to try to get a question to Andy Enfield. It, it, it was bizarre. So I'm sure he's frustrated, but he's dealing with other things too, which is crazy right now. This is welcome to the more popularity you have, the more difficult it can be. Um, like Auburn, uh, who USC will play. We'll, we'll move into our preview section. Auburn has like, 15 to 20 media regularly covering their basketball team. USC does not have that. Even though USC is in Los Angeles, is in the media capital of at least the West Coast. Uh, but that's 
that's the difference in you know a smaller town where there's much more focus on one thing uh and being auburn you know they're the only ones in auburn alabama so speaking of the tigers are seven and two right now usc will play them sunday at 10 a.m pacific time now that will be noon local time in you know in auburn alabama the game will be on espn it is a packed house it is sold out it will be wild and crazy. They have a great home court advantage or home court atmosphere. We will see that on there. I will be down there for the game. Auburn is coming off of thrashings of Indiana and US UNC Asheville. I watched some of the UNC Asheville game that was last night. Uh, they do have a couple losses on the season. They open, I think it was open the season in a neutral site game against Baylor. They also played at Appalachian State and lost there. Not that Appalachian State is isn't a good team, but that's a a puzzling loss there. But hey, when you go on the road, those things happen. And you go on a road in a place like Boone, North Carolina, in the middle of the mountains, you never know. Uh, so they lost that game. They're averaging eighty two and a half points a game almost. They make nearly eight threes per game. But watching them and having watched Auburn in the last couple of years, actually, because USC two years ago was in the same pod as Auburn in in uh, Greensboro. So if they would have won their first-round game, they would have played against Miami. They would have played Auburn. Miami upsets Auburn later. And then last year, USC plays Auburn early in the season. Uh, this year, they get the return trip. USC beat Auburn last year. The biggest thing for Bruce Pearl coach teams, and this is going all the way back to his Tennessee days when I was in, in undergrad uh, at a school near Tennessee, is they'll play defense. They're going to play a ton of defense. They're going to fly around. But he's it's kind of like Andy Itfield as far as he gives them freedom on the offensive end. So shot selection is huge for the Tigers. When they're taking good shots, they're really good. When they're just letting things fly, they can shoot themselves out of games as well. Uh, they actually there was a run in that UNC Asheville game in the first half where they turned the ball over several times in a row. They did not take good shots, and UNC Asheville gets right back in the game uh, for a little bit, and then they start pulling away. But they're very balanced. Last night uh, in that UNC Asheville game, none of the starters scored in double figures. I was like, that stood out to me. I was like, whoa. And now they go 10-11 deep. They had two two players in double figures, both off the bench. But uh, they had, I think, it was like seven or eight players that had between five and ten points in the game. Uh, so they it's balanced scoring. Anyone can score. They're led by Johnny Broom. He averages 15 uh, points a game, eight and a half rebounds. Averages three offensive rebounds per game. So can USC keep him off the boards? He's 6'10", 240. USC doesn't have anyone that matches up well with that strength. He's a, I think he's a super senior. He's at least a, you know, a, a fourth-year guy. So older guy that is strong and physical, that is not, does not tell me is a good matchup for USC. Uh, but he did have a rough game a couple of nights ago against Indiana or a couple of games ago against Indiana, only had two points. He only had six points against UNC Asheville. So maybe USC's catching him at the right time because he did score 30 earlier in the year against Virginia Tech. I don't know about you. What stands out to you uh, uh, about Auburn and, and what uh, what they bring to the table? Well, just I feel like it's an awful spot for USC and everything makes me think that Auburn is going to win this game with their balanced scoring and the fact that it's in their place, it's going to be loud, added interest with Bronny James. But Shotgun, in sports, what happens when everything makes you feel like a certain thing is going to happen? How often does <laughs> the opposite happen? So the only reason I feel like USC has a chance in this game is because I feel so strongly that Auburn is in a good position here 
And that's probably not what these paying customers want from uh, my, my analysis, but that, that's, I, I don't know. It's not like one matchup, like, Oh, I, I think USC can take advantage of here. Like if they hit their threes, they'll probably be in the game. They just haven't shown me anything in the month of December that makes me think they're a team that can go on the road, beat a power five team coached by Bruce Pearl, who we all know has had a lot of success in NCAA tournaments. It just seems like a really bad spot for USC. And the only reason I think they have any shot is because everything in my being right now makes me think Auburn is going to win this game. Auburn is only a four point favorite. I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. Which <laughs> is, is what's kind of, it's crazy uh, that, they still think USC can can do that, can produce. Um, and it'll be an interesting point guard matchup. Two freshmen, Aiden Holloway's out of prolific prep, you know, where Trey White was from and where a number of players come through. Uh, he's averaging 12.3 points. He's our second leading scorer. He's our top three-point shooter right now. He went off for 24 against Indiana when Johnny Broom wasn't playing well. He's a guy that can shoot the lights out of the ball, but he hasn't shot great so far this season. So it's kind of the opposites. We'll see it's an opposite kind of a matchup uh, between point guards of one that can shoot versus Isaiah Collier who can bully his way to the to the line uh, much more than Aiden Holloway. So we'll see who kind of wins out in that battle as well. If USC, uh, you know, if we if USC wins, we'll probably have a show before the next game that they play. If they lose, we'll probably wait till after the Alabama State um, just because I'll be on the road. But USC will play again on Tuesday in Alabama at Alabama State. Now, USC played Alabama State last year, and they thumped them. This is part of the Pac-12's initiative with HBCUs, where each team plays a home-and-home with an HBCU. Or maybe it's not a home-and-home for every team. Maybe some teams are playing different teams each year. But you do play one game on the road the last two years. So that's part of the Pac-12 legacy the last uh, two seasons of it. Uh, but USC dominated last year. They jumped out to a, a 48-23 lead in the first half. They, just, they put up another 48 in the second half. Uh, five players scored in double figures. Drew Peterson at 21-6-6. Six six. Malik Thomas even had 10 points off the bench. Alabama State, looking at their schedule, they haven't beat anyone notable this year, except a couple of my former D3 opponents from Georgia. They played LaGrange, who was one of my conference opponents. They played Oglethorpe. Uh, and you know they they beat both of them, so they beat up on a couple D three teams. TJ Madlock leads them with sixteen point one points per game and five and uh, a little bit over five rebounds. Anything stand out about Alabama State when you look at their stats uh, and their schedule? Their schedule stands out. Two games ago, they beat Mississippi University for women eighty to sixty. I wouldn't think that Mississippi <laughs> University for women would have a men's team, but here we are. Overall, shotgun they beat them last year. Big Alabama State, uh, USC beat them pretty big like you said like if you lose this game the the season's done so you can have a tough game against Auburn and there's still hope of course but like this would be the one game where it's like I don't know if there's any coming back from this so I don't care how they do it but you got to win this one (laughs) it'll be interesting to see you know with the Bronny James hoopla um, in a smaller gym at Alabama State in Montgomery uh, you know how that is it going to be like a high school game where people are standing on top of each other? I don't know. We'll see. I haven't been to their stadium before, so we'll see what the arena is like there. Alabama State comes in at 272 in the net rankings. So, yeah, can't lose to them. And that's where they – now, technically, they have a 2-5 and five record as far as the net rankings because those 2-D3 wins do not count, uh, or at least one of the – you can only have one non 
uh, D1 win, I think. And I think the the MUV or MVU win as well doesn't count against that. So three of their four wins have come against teams from lower divisions. So we'll see how, how USC does. It will be quite possibly a big drastic change. The Auburn game, I've been told, there are 50 scouts coming. So basically every team is sending one or two guys to go see that because not only do you have a a lot of prospects on – Auburn from Johnny Broom to some of the other guys they have, but is Brian James a real deal? What does he look like? Uh, is he a first round pick? Is he, you know, a, a guy that can be one and done all this type of stuff. Everyone wants to know. And here's an opportunity to see him on the road. The women of Troy will, tr- will stay home. They'll play against Cal state Fullerton. Uh, I forgot to write down the date on that one. What day of the week that is. Cal state Fullerton's four and three. They've won three of their last four. Their losses are to Pacific Idaho and to Georgetown. So that tells me that USC should be able to take care of business. Hope Hassman, their freshman guard, leads the way, 15 points per game. She averages nearly five free throws, and she's shooting 88% from the line. She's one of the top in the nation. And then Ashley Lewis uh, provides a post presence as well for them. How much is USC going to win this game by? That's the real question there, Connor. What do you think? I feel similar to the last few weeks. USC won't have any problems, so – 35 points, is that a good margin? I wouldn't be surprised if it was by a few more. If you were gambling on this game, it's all about, is Juju going to play at the end? When is she sitting? Is she (laughs) playing in the fourth quarter? Um, I've already said my piece on this. They haven't really played that tough of a game in almost a month now, and uh, they're going to continue with Fullerton Monday night, and then I think Long Beach State after that, who I think is also 4-3 and or, or something like that. They have a bunch of losses too. Yeah, so they'll play Cal State Florida, and that's on Monday at 7 p.m. That'll be on Pac-12 Networks to get you guys the information. Then they'll play at Long Beach State on Thursday um, on ESPN+. Plus. That one will be on the road at the Pyramid. I don't know. Connor, have you been to the Pyramid? I have. I covered a high school Southern Section Championship game at the Pyramid. Sierra Canyon beat Modern Day. Unique, unique environment being in the pyramid uh, for a game. So, but that's, and that was kind of what Lindsey Gottlieb was talking about when you go to one of those, uh, Island tournaments is it's just you feel like it, you're not really in a an arena like because USC's played when they played in the um they played in a Irvine tournament a couple years ago and it was just it was basically in a, a convention center and you just have a court thrown in the middle of a convention center sometimes you know in in the uh, the Bahamas or in Vegas, like you get one of these back courts. You're not always in T-Mobile Arena. You're off on, you know, off the strip on some uh, some other court. And you're like, what is going on here? This didn't. Everything's really close together. It feels like a a smaller school. So uh, it is a unique environment. So we'll see how they handle that as well when they go on the road because that's a a tune up for their next road game, which will be at Poly Pavilion, potential top five matchup. But we'll get to that next week and the week after that. Connor, anything else you want to add for this week? I think I got my thoughts out there on both (laughs) the women, two thumbs up, the men, two thumbs down right now. But the beauty of college basketball shotgun, of course, you always have a chance to win your conference tournament, but it's a long season. And if you're not playing that well in December, you can turn it around because it all depends on uh, where you go in March. So the season by no means is over for the men on the USC side, but man, oh man, do they need to start playing better? And it's got to start this weekend against Auburn. Yeah. And we, we talked about December being a huge month for this team. 
Did start so great, but how do you finish? How can you how can you turn things around? We'll see if they can do that. Hey, if they finish the month, what four and two or whatever um, their the record would be, I I think you would feel feel comfortable. That might have been what you looked at going into it and said, yeah, they might lose at Auburn or Oregon, and maybe they lose in Gonzaga game. But if they go four and two, that's a solid month. Still have that opportunity, but got a lot of work to do with four road games coming up. We'll see. We'll be back next week to talk about it. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristop Podcast family. Again, please help us out by liking, sharing, subscribing, leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. And we always welcome your feedback and your comments, questions at podcast at uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratlin, and thank you to Lindsey Gottlieb for joining us. Thank you to everyone for taking the time to listen. And thank you to my co-host, Connor Morissette, Mr. Triple Double. Hopefully you all will join us for the next episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast.